We started the Lollygaggers podcast for two reasons. Justin and I are madly in love, and we wanted to help each other find fun entertainment outside our comfort zones. One of those things is still true. In this episode, Jeff goes hunting for a great new superhero comic and finds one with Black Hammer, while Justin watches Doctor Sleep and pees a little. Both Lollygaggers then discuss a different kind of Netflix haunted house, and their new show, Lock and Key. Welcome to episode number 81 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. Uh, uh, Justin! Oh god, that's going to be fun to edit. Uh, how's it going, man? Uh, we played a game the other day. We played. Uh, we played we some. We played, sh- played games. Yeah, we played Shinobagami on our Twitch channel, which is is starting to see action. It's up on. Uh, I, I don't think I actually put our episode up yet. The uh, the Vengeance of the Funiyurai, uh is the name uh, I was going with. I don't know if that's gonna work. We still have a part two to do, uh, but we're starting to put some more stuff up on Twitch and more stuff up on YouTube. Uh, it's an actual play of a a role playing game. This little ninja role playing game we've been messing around with. So. It was fun to get Justin to actually come play a role-playing game with us. It was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Did you like it? Yeah, it was a good time. It was fun. I like I like getting involved. Like if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, man. And everything was very apparent in my descriptions. Yeah. That yeah. I was there to do it. You know what I mean? That's the way, man. Like your uh, stompy feet thing was pretty hilarious. Uh I just like kept picturing like a, a big a big legged old man throwing a temper tantrum is pretty much uh, how I envisioned it. I know that's probably not what you wanted, but like uh, that's that's not, not exactly. Yeah, not I know. Exactly, uh, yeah, know. but I thought you did a wonderful job for somebody who doesn't uh, really play role playing games. Uh, and yeah, you're going to be doing that more often because uh, uh, I said so. Uh, and it's going to happen more often. We're going to twitch.tv uh, slash uh, the lollygaggers. Also, uh, you can check our YouTube channel. Uh, we'll put up. If, if it's not up there yet, it's not up there right now at the time of this recording, uh, but we might be putting it up pretty soon. But the last Shinobagami uh, one that we did uh, without Justin, that one's up on our YouTube channel if you want to check that out. But we'll be doing more of that kind of stuff uh, in the future. Uh, Justin, so I read a comic. I told you about this. I, I, I kind of teased this. And it's and like I love reading comics at this point, but I'm very selective in what I read. And I have a tendency usually to read uh, like indie comics or comics that don't really involve like superheroes and stuff all that often. I just like kind of quirky, weird horror stories and mystery stories and stuff like that. That's kind of what I like to read. Uh, but we, uh, me and a couple of internet friends are planning a new RPG. We're going to be doing a new live play sometime soon of a RPG called Spectaculars. Uh, Spectaculars is a superhero RPG. Uh, so it's like where everybody plays a superhero and we work together in the beginning to kind of create what kind of superhero group we're going to do. And there's like these different archetypes. Like, is it like the daredevil Jessica Jones type stuff? Or is it like the Guardians of the Galaxy type stuff? So I started reading and looking around for some superhero comics because it's been a while since I, I read superhero comics. So I can get some inspiration uh, for my character creation. And as you know, Justin, my favorite comics writer is Jeff Lemire. Uh, he's the guy who's mm-hmm. who does Gideon Falls, did Frog Catchers. I've That's talked. always my suggestion. Yep. Like, if you don't know a new thing, you just go find an author you really like, and you'll find. Yeah, and so he created a a comic series uh, based upon superhero. He does like these superhero things called Black Hammer, and it's been out for a, a few years. So this isn't like brand new or anything, but it's brand new to me. So I want to talk about it. Uh, so uh, this. I haven't read it all because there's a ton of stuff. It's ongoing. There's still all sorts of like fringe and spiral, you know, stories and stuff like that. But I have read through the first three volumes, uh, which is something like 12 or 13 issues, I think. Uh, so volume one is like the secret origins. And it really just de- it, it very much does detail all the different origin stories of these superheroes. And then the second one is called The Event, uh, which talks a little bit about um well, it actually int- introduces sort of like a new component uh, to like where these these superheroes are at. And then the third one has to do with something else. So one of the reasons I was trying to do it is obviously because of the writer. But I also really like the premise of the story. So I don't know how much how familiar you're with it. But basically, here's the premise. Not at all. There's a group of superheroes. Uh, and 10 years ago, they save the city. Or they save Spiral City from Anti-God. OK, so Anti-God is this massive like colossus type creature it's like like the inversion of god you know you know how like on on star trek there's like matter and antimatter 
And then they started doing, well, I mean, that's just, just, that's just true in general. But then they also did like time and anti time. I feel like anti God is just like God and anti God. It's pretty funny. But anyway, he's this like big bad dude. And this group of superheroes, most of whom were like old guard superheroes that had kind of moved on and retired, uh, had to stop them. And so 10 years ago, uh, long before the start of volume one, they managed to defeat anti God. Uh, but during the process of doing so, there was this bright flash of white light, and they were all transported, teleported to uh, a city or a town, I should say, like a kind of a rural town uh, by the name of Rockwood. And it's just this kind of creepy small town. Uh, I heard it referred to as like Twilight Zone-ish type town where it's just it's just they can't leave. And but everyone there is sort of normal. Like they're just sort of this normal hokey, you know, Midwestern type small town. There's farmers, there's a downtown, there's like, you know, a main street, there's libraries. And these people have no idea that they're like some sort of weird phony thing or whatever they are. They, they're they not really threatening, but the superheroes can't leave. And so they're stuck there and they don't know how to leave. Uh, one of their number, the Black Hammer, uh, he tried to leave. And he was killed in doing so. Like there was some sort of barrier that prevents them from leaving. And when he left, something awful happened and he died. And so the rest of them can't leave. And I just really like the premise of that story because I always look for superhero stories that have some level of like kind of intimate character development. And like you can have those like big grandiose, you know, space operas or those big, you know, grandiose like almost kaiju like stories like this is, but it all happens in the past. Like all of it's like flashback. Like it's just like, and it's montage. And it's, you kind of get it over with quickly. You hit the gist of it. And the bulk of these comics has to do with like the present day lives of these different characters that are kind of dealing uh, with the actual, um, the actual problems at hand. Uh, so the, I'm trying to remember like all of the, the names of the main, the main characters. There's Abraham Slam who's who's kind of like i mean they're all kind of kind of they're all kind of equivalents of existing marvel or dc type heroes you know like more common heroes so abraham slam is very much like like captain america in a way like his backstory is like he was a scrawny kid who couldn't make it who couldn't get who wouldn't get accepted into like the the military because he was too scrawny uh so like he was trying to get into world war ii and help fight stuff like that but he couldn't uh but then he like started getting trained by a boxer and like a couple months later became super buff and everything. But then the boxer got killed. And so then he started and that kind of led to his, that was his origin story. So like volume one like goes through all these different origin stories. Uh, there's like golden Gale who is like, who is basically Shazam. Uh, and so she's always in a kid body, like this little girl body, even though she's like in her sixties. Uh, there's like the, uh, there's um, my favorite is, uh, is Colonel Randall weird. Uh, which is basically Doctor Strange, like that's kind of the principle, but, but, but like a like All a right. like a Doctor Strange meets like a super drugged out psychedelic hippie, uh, which is really awesome. And so, okay. he, yeah, and a little bit of Flash Gordon. So he's kind of like a like his his origin story has to do with basically being like a Flash Gordon type, or he's he's like a, he was like a NASA space explorer, and so he was exploring like you know retro sci fi type stuff, and he gets caught up in the paranormal zone somehow and the paranormal zone kind of made him lose his mind. Uh, so he's my favorite. I love him. And so like the character I'm sort of trying to think about, I'm like, what can I do with the last name odd? Because like there's Dr. Strange, there's Randall weird. And now I want to do something with odd, which is, which is kind of cool. Uh, then there's a uh, barbalian. Uh, so it's Bob, Bob, odd. Bob, odd. No oh, God. So there's barbalian. And so it's, it's Barb and then alien because the dude's from Mars. So there you go. Uh, and he's like this tall, skinny, like red figure that has like the ability to uh, shift into like a different, like into a human form. And he was like a non. So Mars is filled with like this whole species of Martians that are. That's red. basically a Martian manhunter. Though. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also, I think, like components like I, I can see components of like John Mar, you know, uh, John Carter from Mars and all that kind of stuff. So like so he gets essentially exiled in a way not exiled that's probably not right but he's like forced to go on this like mission to investigate like what's going on on earth because mars like saw a, a spaceship from nasa land and so he had to go investigate and so that's how he made it to earth uh then there's the witch lady whose name i cannot i'm completely blanking on her name but it's basically like there's this witch lady 
who like she's got this really awful story and she's from like a long time ago. She's like she's she's been around for a while and she's like the mystical magical one. It reminded me of uh what's her name from from um from Suicide Squad, you know, I'm talking about like the witchy one. Enchantress. Yeah, so it reminded me of that. Uh so they all have like these different these different connections, which is pretty cool. So those are those are all the characters and like throughout the first volume you're learning about their origin stories that are interspersed as these little flashbacks and at the same time you're learning about like how they started crime fighting and a little bits and pieces about what might have happened 10 years ago and how this led up to like they're dropping anti-god black hammer himself by the way is basically a mix of thor and green lantern uh because he's thor in the sense that he has a hammer but he's green lantern in the sense that he's like touches the hammer and he's like teleported to like this to to new world uh where he's he's like he's like a galactic protector now so kind of green lantern-ish but also kind of thor so it's like this blend of those two and so there's all kind of this commentary on 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 superheroes and i love this kind of stuff i love it when comics like my favorite types of superhero stories are the ones that that comment on or deconstruct in some way like existing stuff. So that's why I love Watchmen uh, in many respects. And then that one that you gave me a long time ago, like a year ago, I can't remember the name of it, but it was basically a city filled with superheroes. And there's a like in like villains, everyone had superpowers and like, like you're like one of the main cops with like this really big burly blue guy. And like, I can't remember. And there's like toy box, I think was one of the names uh, the name of the main character. She was like, they were like cops. I really like that one too. Cause it was also like a deconstruction to some degree of like superheroes. I just like that kind of stuff. So I don't really gravitate to like the big name characters anymore, but I really like this sort of off the beaten path a little bit. You said it, you'd mentioned that like Black Hammer is kind of like DC fringe stuff. And I, and I started as I was looking at other volumes and other issues, I am definitely seeing like crossovers with other stuff. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but in the first three volumes, it's not, it's very much like kind of straightforward. There's like little hints and references. Like there's like the antler boy character that Je- I can't remember the name, but that Jeff Lemire created, like is mentioned at one point in this like little, this little this little hit here and there but uh the second volume uh is is like so all all throughout the the story they're trying to get out and so there's uh one of randall weird's uh friends is uh is talkie walkie so he meets talkie walkie and that's the that's like the robot character and so he's one of the uh, so she excuse me she is one of the other uh the other superheroes stuck in this town of of rockwood trying to figure out like you know whatever it's been 10 years and they're all stuck there and they can't get out and every it's just a, it's just a dull boring life for them when they're so used to crime fighting and they don't really know everything they they think they defeated anti god they hope they defeated anti god but they just sort of been stuck stuck there abe likes it but no one really el- no one else really does because barbalian is homosexual and is really struggling with that uh and it's not going great uh there's some like flashback stories about like how that didn't go well for him when he was like a cop in like the 50s and 60s or 70s or whatever the year i can't remember the exact years but uh so there's all these character stories gail is like is like a 60 something year old woman who's constantly stuck as like a young kid and she just can't take it so you can see where that goes the witch lady is like stuck in her cabin all off by herself and she never like really meets with anybody Abe's Abe fell in love with a woman, so there's like a woman in town that she that she's in love with, and so it's just this weird mystery. Like, why can't they leave? Where the hell are they? Why doesn't anybody in the town like know that this is strange? Because none of, none of the people in the town recognize any of these heroes, so they're clearly not like connected to Spiral City in any way. So it's just this bizarre mystery. So then Volume Three comes around. And so, well, volume two is when like a new person arrives and that kind of shakes the balance a bit and uh, the investigation kind of ramps up because for a very long time, for the 10 years, like these these superheroes have kind of grown apathetic and they're just like resigned to their fates at this point. Uh, And then a new person suddenly arrives and it's like, what? Somebody new showed up. If somebody new shows up, that means that we can possibly get out because uh, talkie walkie is like trying to send probes beyond the barrier of the town to see if they can like get out and. Someone tries to track down those things and that's how they show up. And then in volume three, like that investigation goes nuts. And you'd actually do finally at the end of volume three, like all of volume three is about learning what actually went down. So there actually are answers. Um, there's still a ton that's not answered and there's still like, like kind of cliffhangers uh, in the sense of some storylines aren't fully wrapped up and others are brand new and introduced. But in terms of the rock Rockwood storyline, like why are they here? 
who or what trapped them for what reason were they trapped here all of that is answered in the first three volumes which is really good i don't know how much more i'm gonna go and continue reading um we'll see but like i'm definitely i definitely enjoyed it like i was just like completely consuming it pretty rapidly over the weekend because i just kind of got hooked on it i I just like there's some you know there's your usual kind of superhero cheesiness in a way like where the character is like thinking stuff just a little too perfectly. Like I, I can't stand like thought bubbles. Like I just really can't because it's like they're always way too on the nose. Uh, but I think it was okay. Sometimes I think it was like tongue in cheek anyway, uh, just to kind of feed like the common, you know, like what what's supposed to like what everyone already kind of knows anyway. Like if you've read any comics before, if you know anything about superheroes, like and you recognize a lot of like the connections and the references and things like that. So uh, it's been out for a while. It's still going. Uh, I, Jeff Lemire isn't really writing it as much anymore. Um, I think he popped he popped in from time to time to do some side stories. Uh, so there's all sorts of different things. Uh, I guess he started the, he started pitching this back in 2007, but then there was other things that came in the in the way. But there's a bunch of other characters that have showed up along the way. Some of them were in the backstories of each of the original heroes. So there's like Sherlock Frankenstein, uh, which is just what what a dumb name, but like I love it. There's Doctor Andromeda. There's Doctor Star. I think Doctor Star got like it's like his own kind of side spinning story to it. Um, there's this awesome like story in the towards the second in the third volume about like this this the story world. Have you ever heard this? Like the story world or the story dimension? Does this make sense to you? You heard of this before? Not ringing the bell. Yeah, it it gave it was giving me vibes for some reason of like uh of like Sandman like Vertigo stuff. But again, you're way more you you know more than I do. Uh, so like Sherlock Frankenstein and the Legion of Evil had like a run. Doctor Star in the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrows. Uh, the third volume begins Black Hammer Age of Doom, and so I read through that. I'm not sure if I'm going to continue Age of Doom, but we'll see. There's also like the Quantum Age, and so there's a bunch of other things, and I I think. The most recent stuff was Colonel Weird Cosmogog, and I'm really tempted to actually go read the Colonel Weird stuff just because he's probably my favorite. Uh, it's just this wonderful mix of like old school retro sci-fi, but also like Doctor Strange, like weird paranormal like science shit. So uh, really digging it, uh, really enjoying it. And it's definitely exactly what I was looking for to get inspiration for like making a superhero character that's a bit off the bit beaten path, but also kind of parodies and hints at certain things. So I am as shocked as anybody that I enjoyed a superhero comic, but uh, I nonetheless did. Uh, and I, I, yeah, if anybody, yeah, check it out. It's, it's pretty good. It's, and there's plenty to read now. So you don't have to, even though it's ongoing, there's still tons of stuff to read. And they're definitely, they definitely seem at least in the first three, like there is an arc. And so like the arc is finished and then a new arc is kind of beginning at the end. If you want to follow that one. So black hammer, uh really good stuff you can get on comiXology as well the first two volumes are are uh you can borrow for free if you do the uh if you do the subscription otherwise it's like 10 bucks or something like that 11 bucks so pretty good all right so as unexpected it was for you to read a comic book well not um, a comic book I, a superhero comic book superhero comic book uh i watched a horror movie That's yeah what I, I don't did, believe you is, uh, i don't believe you yeah um so i watched dr sleep which is the uh 2019 sequel to The Shining. Um, it's kind of strange because it's like a sequel to the movie and the book. Because like there's a lot of references to the movie, and there's you know there's things that happen in the movie that uh, Kubrick took as kind of like a you know his own ideas that were not in the book. Um, so basically, it stars Ewan McGregor, Rebecca Ferguson. And uh, Kaylee or Kylie Curran, who's the the little girl who he kind of partners up with, and the director is Mike Flanagan. And Mike Flanagan did uh, House on Haunted Hill, uh, or Haunting a Hill House. That's the right one. Yeah, I was Haunted gonna say Hill. House on Haunted Hill. That yeah. was like a movie, wasn't it? Completely was, different idea. Was that the Liam um, Neeson one? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But uh, and it shows a lot because I really and I, I really loved Haunting of Hill House, and I loved the cinematography. And one of the things in this movie. It is just a beautiful movie because it not only hearkens to uh, the Kubrick movies, right? It kind of, it, it doesn't like rip them off or kind of like copy them. It just kind of pays homage to a lot of the stuff and the feel that he does. These long, these long like hallway shots, these big panoramics, 
these strange eerie feelings and like there's this one really cool transition that you see a lot in the shining where it's like this long exposure crossfade where like it kind of stands on the person and you still kind of see them for it's like a maybe a second and a half crossfade where you kind of see that person or, or that scene beforehand a long time into the new scene so the story basically takes place it kind of starts right off where the shining ended um, but there's a lot of flashing back and flashing forward. Basically, Danny, who is the the boy from uh, from the original Shining, so as Dan, as uh, Danny Torrance, who's the little boy, has grown up, and who would have thunk it? That guy's got a lot of trauma, right? And uh, he's a drunk and a drug addict, and he's been using those things to kind of, I guess. I guess dull in his shining um, because he still has the ability, but he hates every part of it. Um, he kind of has um, some new abilities he can use and he uses them, but he still is kind of haunted by the hotel and the things that happen, and especially the stuff that happened with his father, because in the shining spoiler from a movie from the 1970s, um, his father goes mad by the hotel and tries to murder his mother and him yeah that's like one of my favorite movies by the way and yeah, uh and you live in the same state so you should go visit if you haven't yet have you have the you visited Stanley yet? hotel yeah uh, i have visited the stanley hotel inspired the overlook hotel yep i've been there and i've been in the the maze Me unfortunately well. the maze is is not as big um mm-hmm. the maze is very very tiny it's about knee high did you drink um, the red rum from the from the gift I shop <laughs> i did not but yeah, I did. I did eat at the bar nice. that Lloyd Christmas yelled. Uh, we went to the moon, and I saw the picture and everything. Because um, the Dumb and Dumber was also filmed there. We walked up the major stairs because my sister's name is Wendy, uh, which was uh, which was the the mother's name, obviously. And my favorite scene, uh, and like all of our favorite scenes, basically with my with my sister, is this part where Jack Nicholson's like walking up the stairs uh, towards Wendy, and Wendy's like backing off, and she's like, "Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, Wendy, right. light of my life." Darling, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your head in, bash it right the fuck in. I love that line so much, and so we just kind of took turns and like uh, and like uh, yeah, recorded. It was great. So there's a lot of a lot of harkening to those scenes. There's some almost shot for shot motion scenes, and uh, like I guess you could call it uh, what's the word where you like you're you're on stage and you're kind of doing movements and stuff like that. I forget what it's called, um, but there's like shot for shot moments in the movie where like man it, when you put the original next to you're like holy crap this is like the way he walks down a hallway that's exactly the way jack walked down the hallway there's a scene in the beginning of the shining you know when he's talking to i guess this is his publisher i guess it was his publisher talking about going up to the cabin and, and writing his new book he's in that little office it's very kind of two shot type of thing you know guy at the desk and him there's the exact same scene with Ewan McGregor and someone else, but it's just so subtle. Unless you really understood what you were looking at, you wouldn't really see it. And so it's a lot of this beautiful kind of like respect for what happened before with these with this movie. And so basically the story is Ewan's kind of gone down and out. Um, he finds a girl who has The Shining and is about as powerful as him because he's kind of like always been the strongest, basically. But he's kind of tainted his Shining with his drug abuse and his alcohol abuse and this new girl um, contacts him because there is a group of, I guess you can call them vampires, but they're not really vampires. They're not like sucking blood. There's these group of people that are going around and finding anyone who has shining in them and stealing basically their souls, their essences that are them. We call it their steam, um, which is kind of how they live a longer life. So that's a group of like maybe eight people, six to eight people, and it's led by Rebecca Ferguson, who's called Rose the Hat, who wears a hat throughout the movie. And you think it's kind of stupid, but as you get it further in the movie, you're like, man, that's it really does kind of like encompass her character. And Rebecca Ferguson's amazing in this movie. Ewan McGregor is unbelievable in this movie. The acting in this movie is fantastic. They have um, the guy who played Elliot. He was also in Haunting uh, on Hill House. He was the father. Um, he He does like a... He plays Jack Torrance in the movie because um, they do a bunch of flashbacks. And it's not like overtly Jack Nicholson. You know, it's kind of like just a, uh, he looks very similar. They got the hairline and everything. And there's just certain things with the movie that just make it fantastic. It's creepy as hell. 
you kind of figure out early on that what these vampire people do is pretty horrific. Um, and it's, it's there's a lot of really brutal scenes. It's not overly gross and gory. It's just brutal and creepy and gross. And there's a lot of like things that happen in the movie that are just so eerie. And they do a lot of that synth music, the dun, 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 dun. like a lot of it's just so there's heartbeats and stuff. It's just so good. I was so enthralled by this movie. I loved it. I think it's probably one of my favorite movies from 2019, and I've seen it recently. Did you I, squeal I, at all? Did you like? Did you have to? No, like, I, I press loved pause? it. it was, did you pee? And a there's little? plenty of there's plenty of really scary, creepy stuff, man, and really gross stuff that happens in the movie. I don't want to spoil any of it. It's just it's so good and so well done because the guy uh, Ferguson is just so good at directing a movie. I loved. Haunting a Hill House, and this guy's done a bunch of stuff. He did um, there's another movie that the mother from Haunting a Hill House did, where she's like tied to a bed. I think it's called Bound or something like that. I can't remember. Um, uh, and she, he's done that one too. He's done a whole bunch of stuff, which I thought was just fantastic. This guy's great, and this movie didn't get a lot of looks, I don't think, and didn't get a lot of uh, uh admiration or, or, or making a lot of money. But man, I thought it was fantastic. I loved it a lot. And the girl, Kaylee, uh, Kylie Curran, who plays Abra, the, the little girl in the movie, is so good. And I, I just, I can't say enough about this movie. If you haven't seen uh, Doctor Sleep, and if you're a fan of Stephen King at all, and uh, kind of brings up because we we're talking about Stephen King TV show not too long ago, you know? Yeah, the outside. Um, Which I, I have just beef with now, fantastic. by the way. We'll get to that later. I haven't, I haven't watched anymore. I was going to wait till the season was over. Yeah, but. I, I just I can't say enough about this movie. I thought nice. it was great, and his cinematography is just beautiful. So, and also a big thing about this, they did a like a one to one remodeling of the entire Overlook Hotel set that they had for um, the movie for the original one. So, like, there's so many because the it's the it's TV. Breakdown. A lot, a lot of cool stuff. So that's Doctor Sleep, um, starring Hugh McGregor. I got it on Amazon. You can get it on literally. I suggest you watch it, especially if you want a nice little creep, slow, good hearkening of, of old cinematography. It's the movie for you. So yeah, nice. Well, speaking of horror, creepy giant mansion type stories, uh, Justin and I, uh, we're gonna talk about Lock and Key. All right, so Lock and Key is on Netflix now. It is a television series, 10 episodes, season one. Uh, it is developed by Carlton Cuse. Do you know where Carlton Cuse is from, Justin? Do you know what his his wonderful claim to fame? I mean, he's done other things, but like... Do First you know? Prince of Bel-Air. Carlton. No, no, I mean, maybe. I don't know, actually, but uh, as Lost is what I'm referring to. Uh, Carlton Cuse. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's one of the producers in Lost, one of the major uh so uh so yeah lock and key it's based on a comic uh by joe hill gabriel rodriguez that uh justin actually assigned me long time ago that was a while ago wasn't it? or maybe i read it on my own it's a good comic i can't remember i think i'm not i'm not sure how how we did it but, but i have read it i've read the first two volumes i read the first two volumes like a year ago and i started like flipping through them again uh because of the series just because there's differences uh not, that's not a good or bad thing just saying there, there are some differences uh, so basic basic premise of the, of, the, of the show, actually, is there is a family, the Locks, who have recently suffered a major tragedy, and that is the uh, the murder of the father figure uh, of Randall Locke, who was killed uh, by a uh, a student of his because Randall Locke is like a like a guidance counselor at a high school. And one of his students uh, killed him for reasons that you learn over the course of the show. Uh, the show isn't told entirely linearly. There's a lot of flashbacks that are kind of weaving together both the present day story and the past. Uh, and so to kind of deal with some of this tragedy, the mother figure, uh, the mom, they, she packs up her three kids and they travel all the way across the country from Seattle to uh, New England, basically, to uh, to move into the ancestral home of Randall, Randall Locke because his, his family has this big uh, this big house called the the Key House, uh, or just Key House, maybe. I'm not sure if there's a the in front of it. And uh, to, to try to like try to find some way of reconnecting in some way, like to learn a little bit about his past, because he was never really one to talk about his past. Now, this is a m massive house, and it's uh, 
it's it's haunted but kind of haunted sort of in a way not haunted like as in you know uh the haunting of hill house but uh haunted in a different sense so what starts to happen is the children start to hear these like whispers from time to time these weird noises and when they start following them they uh they discover keys uh, and these keys are magical and they all do different things uh so one of them allows you to Put the key into the lock, like this old kind of skeleton-looking key. You turn the key, open the door, and you can travel to basically anywhere that has a door. Uh, another one allows you to uh, to repair things. You can kind of put things in like a cabinet or something like that. Use the lock, and then like, it'll put the put back together like a a broken vase or something like that. Uh, another one allows you to do some sort of thing with fire. Um, another one allows you to mess with the like you can kind of go in someone's head. Uh, so you can literally enter their brain and kind of go through their memories and stuff like that, which is really cool how that was uh, that was done uh, in the in the show itself. Uh, so while they're uncovering these things, uh, there also there also is this other little side story as there is this little well building, this well house building on the grounds of of Key House. And there is a voice coming there, and we learn pretty quickly that that voice is a is a woman who has sort of down has been hidden down that well for a while and is let out and she is one of the the mischievous potentially malevolent evil creature that tends to over the course of the next 10 episodes haunt and harass uh elements of the Locke family all the while uh these new kids these kids they're two of them are teenagers one of them's a little kid uh and they're all going to school uh they're all trying to cope with that you know so there's a lot of that kind of high school drama stuff that ha- happens here and there uh, they're dealing with the, the pain of like each one of them has like different secrets and different different aspects like the the daughter is like regretting the way in which she she didn't do anything to help her father the the oldest son feels like you know he might have been responsible like he might have been the one that got his dad killed all sorts of things like that uh, so that's the basic premise of the show uh, I didn't really spoil anything it's really just sort of a summary of the premise uh, and that's about it so Justin what do you think of Lock and Key uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I think it is the perfect level of creepy and family for me. You know, uh, like even though I did just talk about a actual like horror movie that I watched, um, I think it was a really cool mixture of the two. And I think it's a good it's a good TV show for watching my wife. My wife doesn't like that type of creepy stuff. I think this is just creepy enough and weird enough that it's good for us to kind of watch together. Yeah, I mean, it gets, I, I don't, I know it's called a supernatural horror, but I really didn't find it to be a horror. I, I never felt like scared. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, well, it's just there's, creepy. there's spooky, there's some creepy, spooky stuff from like, yeah, I don't even know if I would call it creepy. Like, I'm not sure if I'd go that far, far but like, it's suspenseful to me. And it's, it's a supernatural, suspenseful movie in which children are put in danger. <laughs> like, that's kind of what it boils down to. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's really only like one kind of monstery, scary moment. Uh, and it's really not even that big a deal. Uh, but it is very suspenseful. And there are some moments that are that, you know, they definitely go through traumatic experiences. And like those are depicted on the screen. So but I certainly yeah, you're right. I mean, I certainly wouldn't put it in like the same category as like The Shining or Dr. Sleep or anything like that. But uh, I enjoy it a lot. Me and my wife enjoy She's actually had the flu for the past couple of days, so she'll watch it in her room, and I'll watch it in the family room. We'll watch it at the same time. Um, and you two like, are that's adorable. one of the reasons why I wasn't able to finish it. Like, here we go. To watch it with the excuses. I got, I got the seven episodes with the I excuses. I went all the way so through. We finished it like a week and a half ago. We finished it in like three and a half days. But hey, whatever. But the seven episodes I did see, I enjoyed very much. the The mystery that's unfolding is pretty cool. I didn't get that far in the comic. Um, I think as far as I got in the comic would be like episode two. Like they really, really, they really blast through the first couple, um, th- the first couple issues pretty quickly. The first couple, like, uh, I guess, collections pretty quickly within the TV show, and then they it, it jump slows down. I mean, they, they, yeah, it definitely slows down in the middle. I think episodes three, four, or five, like it gets very high schooly at times. I, I do think that some of the high schooly stuff it might have overstayed its welcome, but it was okay. Like, I don't think it was so so terrible, but. Definitely the cool parts of the show are like doing the cool things with the keys, trying to figure out what's going on. Like, why is this place magical? And then how does that connect to their father? Right. Because they start getting the sense that their father, there was more to his life than they knew. Like, and they have an uncle, uh, Randall's brother was played by Aaron Ashmore. Uh, he, uh, 
Uh, that's that's uh, Bobby. That's Iceman. All right. That's it's yes, yes, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it has a twin brother named Sean Ashmore. Uh, anyway, Aaron Ashmore. Uh, he, also, uh, from uh, what's it called? Uh, Killjoys. Good, good, good show. Good show. Anyway, uh, he uh, he does he strangely, bizarrely, just has amnesia about when he was a kid. He just doesn't have any memories, and so like there there starts to be like this weird thing about why is it why is it our dad never told us about any of this stuff never wanted to come back here why is it our uncle has no memory of it right like you and they do a good like description of like why can't we go tell mom well because it it doesn't work on adults right so exactly so like like adults yeah i mean i think it's justified i think it sort of makes sense i mean it's super arbitrary it's an arbitrary rule but it's one that they establish and then they stick to it and so there's nothing wrong with that right so the kids are the draw the show which Mm -hmm. is which is fine and I actually um, think the kids were surprisingly decent. Uh, one of them, uh, I only really recognize one of them. That's Connor Jessup, uh, who is the oldest brother, Tyler. Uh, he was in uh, Falling Skies, which was a TNT like alien invasion drama with like Noah Wiley uh, a couple years back. Um, I, I, I was I actually always thought that he was sort of the weakest of the three kids in that one. But in this, I, th- I think he he definitely held held up. Uh, Kinsey is pretty interesting. What? Kinsey goes through. Uh, She's starting to annoy me a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's what I was just going to get to. She she actually undergoes a significant character shift for uh, for specific reasons. Like it's very clear why it happens, uh, and it's super stark. It's this huge one eighty, and there is there are a couple episodes in the middle as she's sort of dealing and coming to terms with this major shift. It's it's almost like you know like w- what you would have to do to compensate for cutting off one of your arms like how do you suddenly like change how is your life different well she does it more of like in an emotional sense uh and so seeing how she dealt she deals with it like it's definitely a rocky like i think the middle episodes are the weakest but i think the beginning's strong and i think the end is strong so there's like maybe three four five to me around there i think are the weakest but i do think it picks up eight nine and ten and i definitely think the the starting points are really good as well um Bodhi who's the youngest one I thought he was surprised like he was he was suitably adorable and precocious but not to the point where he was annoying um he has like he's the one who's primarily discovering the keys and kind of learning about that while his older siblings are trying to control him and they're being more responsible like we just can't use these things these are crazy powerful you can't just do whatever you want with them uh because there's like this one that mimics death and stuff like that which is really creepy uh so so he is like there's that kind of back and forth. Plus, he doesn't go to school right away. Like he gets a week off before like school starts. So he actually has the freedom to like run around the mansion and explore it. So while we're getting a lot of like teenage high school drama stuff with the other two siblings, we're just getting like cool like exploration of this crazy mansion with him. And so you get a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. So what do you think the of that only balance? Problem I have with Bodie is that there's nobody ever watched this kid. That's the only thing. Like yeah, nobody ever watches this child. Yeah. That's my only problem with him. And he's constantly getting in horrific levels of trouble. And it's just like nobody's ever supervising this little one. Yeah. That's that's the only problem with him. I think as an actor, he does a great job. He's adorable. Um, I have no problem with anything. He's not annoying at all. He's just straight up cute. Um, the I think the, the guy that plays Tyler does a good job. Even though there's a turn in the middle, which I don't understand why he makes that turn. It doesn't make much sense. I think it's just because he's just worried about all the stuff that's going on. I think that was just really weird and uncharacteristic. But like, whatever. I'm sure it's just trying to. I felt like there were some of these episodes in the middle were kind of just filler, you know, for a, yeah. for a a quicker story they could have done in maybe six episodes. Um, I mean, I I don't know if I'd call them filler, but I definitely think that they they focused on things that weren't as interesting to me like i definitely like character development but i just i don't really want to deal with high school drama like i have rival i have riverdale for that you know like you're just you're never gonna surpass the, the yeah. brilliance and well, genius yeah, of what else do you need right? yeah uh so like we both have read bits and pieces of the comic and like look like there's definitely differences uh in the comic i would I, I would say like there's a lot of the same characters sometimes they are presented a little differently and like it's paced it's certainly paced differently uh but I think that the spirit of the comic is probably pretty well established here. Like a lot of the keys are the same and stuff. Locations are the same uh, specific story beats, like important things like certain characters that die, they still die or certain characters that, you know, aren't like have secrets. Those secrets are relatively the same, all that kind of stuff. So 
while I don't think it's told exactly the same in the same order and the same the same patterns, uh, I definitely think that it actually does a pretty good job of interpreting the source material and then adapting it to a different medium. What did you think? I think so too. I I I like how they kind of in the comic book the way they kind of unveil what happens at home is pretty quick and stark. I like the way they kind of unveil it over time. I like the flashbacks, like the presentation of that information a lot. Um, I think that they kind of get the spirit of the keys and the characters done very, very well in the TV show. Um, and the way I would kind of equate it, it's like Haunting of Hill House mixed with like Lost in Space, right? Because really the story, the story overall is about family and they're kind of, they stray from it in, this, in the TV show. But really, the, the baseline of the TV show is they're grieving from a huge loss and how they kind of deal with this loss and how they kind of like are, you know, because the whole thing is about their father, Pat, their father died in a horrific way. They all feel guilt for different reasons. And I can kind of really identify with one of them in particular because I felt the same way when my father passed. And it's the thing where I was like, man, that one really hit harder at home with how that one particular character reacted. Right. So I, yeah, really I think I know like what you're talking that. about too. Yeah. 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 I really like that kind of like representation of the trauma that they went through and the grieving there. And they're all kind of, and they're all in this very developmental stage in their life where even though high school is only four short years, it's four years that kind of shape the person that you are and the decisions that they're making based on this trauma that they clearly haven't dealt with properly or aren't dealing with well together as a family it's causing troubles when they're, you know, you throw in a supernatural cog into the wheels or wheel or supernatural wrenching at the cogs. There you go. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> I, got it. so I really like the way they're presenting the story because that's what the book was. The book was these guys have a legacy that they're a part of that legacy is inexorably tied to their father and they miss him. They miss him terribly. Yeah. And all the scenes where they kind of like, you know, they go into the memories and see the stuff. It's so very apparent what this all kind of boils down to is they missed their dad and maybe he wasn't something they thought he was, but they got to kind of try and fight to believe that he was better than what, what's being presented to him. So I think yeah. overall that theme is, is really, really well represented. And I like it a lot. I think it's, that's kind of what really got me hooked to it. It's kind of like it was a really well accurate representation of these three different perspectives of the scenario and how all three of them feel like they're guilty for some part of the doing of a thing they really had no control over, which yeah. is really an interesting little story. Yeah, I mean, and I definitely think that even though some of the high school stuff, like some of the high school scenes, like got, they, they overstayed their welcome, I definitely thought like each of the characters, like the children's characters, none of them felt particularly heavy handed. Like we mentioned, like the Kinsey stuff, there's like a couple, there's a couple episodes, but I think it's justified. Like there isn't, it's not just like this abrupt 180 for no particular reason. Like there's actually a story, there's like a cause and effect. Like she did something which led to blank, right? And then the fact that this was only within a past year that their, you know, their, their father died and that now they've moved entirely across the country they left their you know everything that they knew like there's is such a new element and a new new components that they're in uh so i don't really like they they they're not insufferable and i feel like that happens a lot with teenage characters i think sometimes they're overwritten uh to the point where like they just become so insufferable because they want everyone to realize hey teenage angst teenage angst but here like it felt a little bit more believable it felt more palatable and i think you can feel a lot of you know empathy or sympathy for these characters and that's like a really good thing, considering like the kids are who you're sort of rooting for to make sure all this happens. And none of them really come across as jerks like they do dumb things like they they're mean to each other sometimes. But like that makes sense. Like it totally makes sense as they're sort of processing everything. Because in the end, they're, they're just hurting. Yeah. In the end, they're hurting now and they're confused and, and it's the rough time and they make rash decisions because they're dumb kids. And like the decision that, that Kenzie makes, I'm like. You know what? I might have done the same exact thing given the same exact situation. Yeah, I mean, I like I, that's what I mean. Like, it's all justified. Like, it it makes sense. Like, it's I think I think that it tracks. Uh, like, I think there's some cool stuff in terms of like the supernatural components as well. Uh, some of the special effects are are good. Some of them, you know, they're okay. But like, I think overall, yeah, hit miss. Yeah, I mean, it's a little hit or miss. But like, it's nothing that like I think would really sort of break the experience. Uh, my favorite parts of the show, like in terms of like the the cool the cool key effects, were when they went into each other's heads. 
because uh, we go so like basically yeah, the like key yeah you put the key in the back of a person's neck and you turn it and then they become sort of like a like an, a vessel and you pop out of it and then you can there's some sort of door that suddenly appears in whatever area that you're like you're in if like you were in your bedroom all of a sudden this door appears and that door is usually representative or emblematic of something so whether it's like your old home or whether it's uh you know whether it's, it's you know some special memory you have and so we go into the heads of a couple of different characters throughout the show. Um, we go into Bodhi's head and Bodhi's head is like this crazy, f- super fun time arcade type place. We go into Kinsey's head and it's just like really finely organized, like to the point of like OCD mall. And she has this like the like the it's a mall. And like it's so interesting, the interpretation of like when you go to the directory and try to figure out where you want to go. She has like a whole store that's basically yeah, memories like, of dad. Like awesome. Oh yeah, definitely. Very and she's very artistic, right. which is cool representation of the type of character she is. Right. What I really thought was actually quite impactful was was Tyler's door, which you never we never go in his head. I've gone so far. Yeah. You never go in his head, but what that door represents right. is like, well, that's pretty heavy, and it's just a. a just, and they never really kind of go into it, but, but for me, as a, as a, someone who's who's gone through lots, I'm not saying it's exclusive to me or anyone anyone else based on that. But like I kind of get exactly what that is. Like that moment defined who he was, and that's just like okay, that's pretty rough. But yeah, I thought that was really. Cool. I mean, and a lot, and some of that gets resolved by the end. I know you haven't finished it, so I won't spoil it for you. But there's some like resolution to that storyline to some degree, uh, as much as there probably can be. Uh, I do, I do like despite the fact that we don't go into his head, he still kind of I think makes almost kind of whimsically funny use of that, where he like starts throwing books, uh, like he opens the door into his head, throws books so he can like rapidly learn things like encyclopedically to like try to impress a girl, and it's like super fun and silly and like, but not in a way like it's not it's it's just it's not it's not something that's not you know it's unbelievable, but it's also something that adds some levity. Like, so these keys, while they're serious in the sense that they can do a lot of harm or that they have great, you know, there's great seriousness and there's this malevolent entity known as Dodge that's like chasing them, you know, that's trying to pressure Bodhi into giving the keys over to her. Uh, there's also a lot of fun to be had with them. So I do think the show never gets too dark. And that's why I hesitate to like really go so far into horror because I don't think it really gets there. Like, I, I think it's just suspenseful and supernatural. But I never really think it crosses the line um, and makes it to the point where I'm like horrified or, or like terribly afraid. Like I'm, you know, maybe I'm nervous or anxious in, in certain scenes, but I'm never like horrified or afraid of for anything. Uh, there's other components too. Like there's definitely history, like as they start to learn about their father, because they do get to learn about their father through a, a variety of things. Like one of her, one of their dad's uh, friends is still, is still living and alive in the, in the area. And so she befriends the mom and uh, one of the the dad's teachers as well. And then they, so they stumble across, across these different bits and pieces to try to learn about their father. And the, the mystery just deepens at that point. How much did they really know about him? How much does anyone really know about their parents? You know, like that's kind of always the interesting thing. Like even when you take away the supernatural components of it, like we never really know our parents as people. We just know them as parents. Like, like if you think about it, like they lived lives of, like think of the lives that we have lived, right? And then your kid, then you have kids and then the life that you have with the kid is going to be radically different than the ones you had prior to that. And so, I think this this show like takes it to the nth degree by having like this this central core mystery about the magic of the house, uh, which is really really cool. We get into some of like the mythology as well of the of the Locke family, but not much. Uh, it sort of established a little bit uh, in a couple episodes where we get to see generationally how far back it goes somewhat, uh, and we realize that it's not just the house but the grounds as well. Like it's it's it it extends beyond the the building itself, and it's just the entire ground of like Locke. Uh, lock manor so i mean overall like if, if we're gonna sum this up i actually really enjoyed it i thought it was a very good show i don't think i mean like it to me i think it's the type of show that it's it's not a show i think that's gonna frighten but it might unsettle and it deals with some serious themes like some really strong themes as like justin and i have like have outlined here like and it can and it, i think it can hit on some sort of storylines emotionally that might I mean, I hate to use the word trigger, but like it certainly, you know, hits that kind of component. I think it handles everything in a way that's respectful and intelligent. And I I never think it comes across as overly sentimental, uh, which I think is 
uh, which is definitely a pitfall or a danger that could happen with this sort of storyline, but it never really does that. I feel like it handles that balance pretty well. I think it's decently acted. I don't, I mean, there wasn't really any singular character that I felt like weighed it down. Like, oh my God, every time they come on the screen, I just hate this particular character. Uh, I think everyone was pretty solid. And I think every, all of the main characters, like even the mom starts to get some, like I start to feel so bad for her. Like there's like, there's things that happen to her throughout. I just like, she's just trying so hard and it's just so many things just aren't working. And she's trying so desperately to understand her kids, but like she can't like she, like she physically can't because of this, this rule. And then like that rule gets kind of explored a little bit further later in the series, later in the show of like, you know, can adults remember? Can they not remember? And there's some like really heartbreaking decisions that start to transpire towards the end. So a uh, big, big thumbs up for me. I definitely think it's something worth watching. What about you? I think it's great. I agree with everything you say. Um, I also say watch it with the, with the loved ones. That's what, that's what I've been doing. Okay. So uh, it's a good one. All right. So that's going to wrap up this week's episode of the Lollygaggers podcast. Remember to check out our website at thelollygaggers.com for all of our content, including past episodes of this podcast. Also, uh, our RPG actual play podcast, Adventures in Lollygagging, and a bunch of past streams of Justin's raiding in World of Warcraft and some of our RPG live plays. Uh, you can catch us both on Twitter if you want to recommend some games, some movies, some comics that we should check out. I'm at lollygaggerco. That's L-O-L-L-Y-G-A-G-G-E-R-C-O. Justin's at buys Justin. Uh, and if you're not doing anything this Friday, uh, that'd be the 21st of February, uh, come watch me and a few friends play another anime-inspired game of Shinobagami, Modern Ninja Battle RPG. Uh, we'll be on twitch.tv slash thelollygaggers starting at 8 p.m. MST. Uh, Justin, to end the show, we just talked about a house that has all sorts of magical fun keys that do sorts of crazy things. So I would just like you, like, can you come up with a cool key? Like, wh- what's a new key that we should explore in Season 2? Uh, it'd be a body shape key, and I believe it's the same key that Apollo, uh, Apollo, oh, here we go. damn it, from it's just Battles Apollo, Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, yeah. Apollo using Battlestar Galactica that made him turn from crazy overweight to super thin in a half an episode, because I think that's the only way it could possibly have happened, and I still have a problem with it, and I'll never let it down.